remain standing, get your Bibles, please turn to the book of Numbers. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. Numbers chapter number 1 and verse number 52. Numbers chapter 1 and verse number 52. As is our custom here, I will read out loud. You follow along with me silently, but we will read this together. Verse 52, chapter number 1 of the book of Numbers. And the children of Israel shall pitch their tents, every man by his own camp, and every man by his own standard throughout his hosts. Very next chapter, chapter number 2, verse number 1 and 2. And the Lord spake unto Moses and unto Aaron, saying, Every man of the children of Israel shall pitch by his own standard with the ensign of their family's house. Far off about the tabernacle of the congregation shall they pitch. Father, thank you for the Bible once again. Thank you, Lord, for the Anchor Baptist Church. My goodness, how spoiled we are to the point that we can take it or leave it sometimes, which isn't right. And yet we hear the unity and the frivolity and the laughter and the caring and the helping each other and the being fed the word of God and the singing and on and on and on, watching our children grow up here, as many of us now that are adult grew up here. What a wonderful place that this is. We do not come and just set. We come and absorb. We come and learn. We come and help. And so, Father, I pray that tonight this will be a help to your people. Please help us now. Bless the singing, the music. Thank you for the unity. Thank you for the caring for one another. But above everything, Lord, I ask you to bless your word tonight. And we'll thank you for it all in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. was not the path I would have chosen. I could see no hope from where I stood. And even though I knew what God had promised, I didn't see how he could work it for my good. Yet that road where pain was my companion Took me to an unexpected place And standing in the middle of the darkness That was where my heart would learn to say I choose Christ when everything around me says give up. I choose faith, I choose to trust, to believe he is good. He'll come through like he said he would every time. Oh, I choose Christ.
I don't know the story he's unfolding, but I know in his will he has a plan. So every day my prayer is to surrender. Even when it's hard to understand, I choose Christ when everything around me says give up. I choose faith, I choose to trust, to believe He is good. He'll come through like He said He would every time. Oh, I choose Christ. His grace is sufficient. Whatever happens in my life, I've made my decision. No matter what the price, I choose Christ. When trust to believe he is good he'll come through like he said he would every time oh i choose christ to believe he is good he'll come through like he said he would every time oh i one more time. I want to point out a couple of words to you here and then we'll get into our message. Numbers chapter number one. Numbers chapter number one. I want you to look at verse 52 one more time. And the children of Israel shall pitch their tent every man by his own camp, every man by his own standard. You see that word in there? Okay, while you're staring at me because I'm cute, did you look in the Bible? Did you see the word? Standard. I want you to look at chapter number 2, verse number 2. Every man of the children of Israel shall pitch his own by his own standard with the insignia, with the ensign of his father's house. In other words, there was an emblem, name, something. Uh, something that was there said, that's where I belong. And so that's what they did. You have to understand, an ensign of war or a staff, a pole, if you would, lifted up in the air with a flag or colors on it, if you would, a flag or a banner, if you if, if you would, uh, people would have. On it usually was an emblem, a family crest would be on there, or colors or a country, colors, emblems, numbers, or even letters of a military unit. So people would know where they're supposed to be, where they're supposed to be established, what they're supposed to be following, even carry marks of religion 
back in the day, people would even have, they'd have a cross on there or uh, other symbols that would represent uh, a certain religion that they were advancing forward in. Sometimes the standards were decorated with uh, images of, of animals. You could have a bear or a lion, a dragon. You could have a snake. America almost ended up with the emblem of a snake on it. I thought that'd be pretty cool. As the banner, the standard would be carried, the people would proudly assemble on that standard. They would assemble. That's my standard. That's my family crest. That's where we assemble. That's where my people are. That's what they would do. And so we have to understand, underneath of there, they were identified by that standard, which identified them as who they belonged to and what they believed. In Numbers chapter 1, verse 52, And the children of Israel shall pitch their tent. Every man by his own camp, every man by his own standard. Traveling in the open wilderness... 12 tribes, millions of people. Where are you supposed to go? Where are you supposed to assemble? Let's get, quit doing aerobics and listen to me. What are you supposed to be doing here? You got all these millions of people and they would move all the time. And where are you supposed to assemble? Okay, we're setting up the temple, uh, tabernacle again. Where do we assemble? What are we supposed to do? God already came up with a great idea. Now the tabernacle was always the center of God's people. So that wasn't in question. I don't care if it was here, 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 or here. That was the center. And everybody else assembled around them. But how do several million people, where do they know where they belong? all the time. Well, for example, on the east side, you had Judah, Iskar, and Zebulun, every man according to his family's incident. They knew it. No, that represents my, my tribe. I go over there. That's what they did. So on the east side, you had those three. On the south side, you had Reuben and Simeon and Gad. And they knew that. They would look. It wasn't just a direction. It was, I'm looking for, uh, there it is. There's our banner right there. And they would hold that up, and that's where they would assemble. On the west side, you had Ephraim, Manasseh, and Benjamin. And then on the north side, you had Dan, Asher, and Naphtali. Every man, the Bible says in Numbers 2 2, every man of the children of Israel shall pitch his tent, uh, pitch his own standard with the ensign of their father's house. So I know where I'm supposed to be. I know where I'm supposed to be assembled. I know what that ensign stands for. And I know those are my people. And they would assemble underneath them. Example When I was in the military, I was a combat engineer. Now, the symbol of an engineer in the military, I don't know why they chose this, but was a castle. Uh, and you would see it. It had these, uh, like, parapets. You know what those are? Uh, you had these uh, uh, little blocks. It, they're not on there, but it goes up and it cuts out like that. You know, you see that? Uh, look, we pay a lot of money for these things, so pay attention. And so you would see it. It was a castle. And you'd actually have them on your lapel. And uh, everybody knew who, what that represented. And if you assembled on that, they knew who you were and what you represented. Our banner, our standard was a castle. And it, with, with our company letter, our company D, I went back and did research. And the platoon number was platoon number four. And so that's where you knew you belonged. I belong with those guys under that banner. That's our castle. That's our company number. And that's our platoon. We knew everything on there stood for something. Everything did. So we find out they would always convince you. The military is real good at this as convincing you people who assembled under that banner, you're something special. It didn't make any difference if you were in the company right next to us. They were special. Everybody was special. By the way, this is what you ought to do with your kids. Daddy, which one of the special you? you are, honey? And the next one comes in, you go like, Mommy, who's special? You are, honey. 
whoever you're spending time with right then, that's who's special. That way you don't have to be like some people in the Bible who chose this one. Jacob and Esau, that's not a good idea. And so what happens here is simply this. You assemble under a special banner, and under that banner, it was a privilege to assemble underneath there. See that castle? See that platoon? See that company? That's me. In the military, when you're jogging and you have companies or a whole uh, uh, company or a whole brigade uh, shuffling together, you would see them in great big blocks of people. And they're all shuffling together. Or they're all marching together. And out in front was your banner. That banner said, so if they begin to split off, where am I supposed to go? Follow the banner. All I do is follow the banner. And when they would jog and you'd see that banner say, we're getting ready to turn up here. You didn't need to guess. You didn't out, out, out think. All you had to do is follow that banner, that standard. In all wars, when they took, I was doing a little research today, uh, you've seen uh, where they, on top of that mountain, all those Marines were taking that flag and putting that up. Do you know when they did that? When they won, when they took it. And the same thing they did, Vietnam, Civil War, every place they did. As soon as they took a place, they'd go to the highest peak they could find or the mountain or the hill or the castle or whatever, and they would put up the emblem of their country and what they stood for, saying it's no longer that, this is what it is, and we are proud to assemble underneath of that. You have to understand what I'm getting to. I'm going to reiterate over and over again this whole banner thing. God is simply saying, put out your sign. Put out your sign. Be proud of your tribe. Be proud of your family name. Listen, titles, labels, symbols, names carry meanings. They carry meanings. This is why I'm not fond of interdenominationalism. Most people don't even know how to spell it, don't know what it is, but they want to belong to it. I don't like that. I don't like it at all. I think you ought to put your name and be proud of whatever name that is. We used to tell our kids all the time, look, you can't act that way. You're a bell. You're a bell. You act like your family. Be proud of your family name. That's what you do. You act that way. Same thing in a situation like this. Well, maybe the fundamental, maybe these interdenominations, maybe they did put out their name. Who knows? Let everyone know where you stand, what you believe, and what you're for. Let them know. And that's done by titles, labels, symbols, names, carries a meaning. Community church. What kind of a meaning does that carry? I think when I think of that, a church trying to fit into the community. That's not biblical. So I have a problem with that. I hear the family center. I don't know if that's a church or not. I thought that was just a place where families got together and played bingo or something. Canasta. That's what old ladies play, you know. We go over here to uh, uh, the steakhouse over here. And you'll find out you got groups of ladies sitting around. They, they do. Am I right, fellas? Am I right? You, you go in there. And they'll laugh and talk about it. And I stop and talk to them. And it always amazed me because I stopped one day and I said, Lady, what are you playing? Canasta. And I said, Who's winning? The dealer was. I said, Maybe it's just me. The dealer is winning. Doesn't that sound? And they all start laughing. They thought that was funny. But anyway, that had nothing to do with this sermon right here. How, how about this? The church down the street. What does that mean? I know you're saying it's the church down the street. What's it stand for? What does it mean? What meaning does it have for anybody that goes there? The church of the open door. Do they leave it open? Is it open now? Can we just walk in? How about Baskin Robbins 31 Flavor Church? How about that one? 
Wow. That hits all the flavors right there, right? Yeah. Going there right after church, aren't we? You understand? Listen, all of these carry a meaning. Most of them are not good. Put up the standard and be identified. We are Baptists. It says so right on the sign outside. Be honored to be identified according to that sign out front. If you are not identifying with that sign and you do not like what it stands for, I suggest you move underneath the standard that will identify you. That's what I suggest. Every word in our title, our church's title, is important and identifies us. Every word, and I don't mean just Anchor Baptist Church. I'm talking about the independent, fundamental Anchor Baptist Church. It all stands for something. Maybe some of you have never heard this before. It identifies what I stand for as far as church, and I am, by the way, and I am proud to stand by that. A lot of Baptist churches taking Baptists off their name. I guess they don't want to be identified with Jesus anymore. I'll tell you why. You see, in every title there, Anchor Baptist Church, Independent Fundamental, every one of those names has a biblical meaning to it, and I like what it stands for. For example, the word anchor, did you know it comes from Hebrews 6.19? The Bible said, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast. Actually, that's where our church's title, it became Anchor Baptist Church. My first assistant's wife came up with that. I didn't even know it was in the Bible. And so there it is. Then the word Baptist takes us all the way. Yeah, no, John the Baptist. No, 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 Jesus. Jesus was a Baptist. I'll bet you didn't know that. Say, so how do you know that? Well, first of all, he came to a guy by the name of John the Baptist and was baptized by the Baptist, which would make him a Baptist. Don't look at me like that. Huh, what's that mean? You sure? See, we don't like to identify you mean Jesus was, a, and so only the Baptist way is right? If you're going to go, you might as well go first class. Jesus was a Baptist. Please understand something here. Church, we're not a temple. We're not a, we're not a life center. We're not a worship place. We're not St. Paul's. We're a church. We're a church. Read the Bible. It's always talking. It doesn't talk about temple in the New Testament, except in reference to something in the Old Testament or something in heaven. It talks about the church. The body the church. The body of Christ, the church. The church is the pillar and ground of the truth. Talking about the church. It's what Paul gave his life for. It's what Jesus established. It's what he gave eternal perpetuity to and said as long as he exists, which is like forever, there'll always be the church. Not universal. Not invisible. Not universal. We are not a part of the church. We do not belong to the World Council of Churches, never will be. Never will be. It's a worldly, fake, religious organization. But as the Bible teaches, God, Christ, pastor, people, local assembly is the church. Now, a lot of you have been taught that. You're staring at me right now like, how can he just say that? Because I just did. So we find out here we're independent. And then fundamental. All of the fundamentals concerning the Bible and Jesus Christ we believe in. All of them. All of them. Do you know a lot of churches now do not believe that Mary was a virgin? That Jesus is not the only... I'm talking about Baptist people and a lot of other... Do not believe there's a hell. They're not sure if there's a heaven. The King James Bible is not the only book that we ought to be reading. 
then what book should you be reading? Something, some man. We're, we're, all, we're all hyped up on man wrote that book. And then we go and buy a book that actually was written by man. All biblical standards and Baptist histor historical beliefs is what we stand for. Now, I would suggest to you, if anybody in this room does not like that, just very quietly go underneath a standard that says, this is what I am. This is where I assemble. Where you go to church, that name, that bander, that standard you assemble under identifies you. Do not hesitate, apologize, or make excuse. I don't for my church. Oh, I know some people to go to your church. I know all the people to go to my church. The standard is raised high for all to see, to know where I stand and what I believe. Anchor Baptist School, same way. Anchor Baptist School has a high standard. It has a high standard and great teachers. When you talk to parents or ch children that attend another school, don't you dare hang your head. Don't you dare hang your head. Don't you dare make excuse. Don't you be embarrassed. And don't play down your school. You don't need to. Raise the banner high. Anchor Baptist School, in its short existence, is one of the best schools around. And, by the way, it's one of the most affordable. I know we're small, but it was planned that way. It's called a closed school. It's closed to the people that attend here, except when our deacons or board decide, okay, well, let's let those people in. And it has to be from another Baptist church and other things we have to go by. Mom and Dad, you need to be proud, and so do you students. That assemble under that banner. That assemble underneath that banner. It's insignia. It's standard. Don't you take a back seat to anybody. You don't have to. You don't have to. I don't care how big their buildings are, and I don't care where they go to school. Anybody that leaves here that wants to can go right into any college or any university or on any job and hold their own wherever they want to go. Be proud of our dress code, our rules, our teachers. I like our teachers to stand up. If you teach in the Anchor Baptist School, would you please stand up? We have one that's missing. I know that. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Uh, Miss Emma is not here. She teaches a large section of our school. Where is, where's your wife at? Oh, she's, okay, she's already standing up. Hi, how are you? Great, oh, wonderful, okay. You have to understand something here. These people get paid next to nothing. By the way, I'll tell you this too. I'm going to show you at the end of the church service. Stay standing. You'll see our um, staff income or what they were paid. It's like $213,000. Wow. Divide that by seven. If everybody got paid equally, about $30,000. Over 50% of that money they received went right back into this church. 50% of it. Mike did the math the other day and showed it to me. I went, what? 50%? I have no idea what these people were living on. That's what they're wondering, too. I have no idea what they're living on. And so get, now you give them a hand. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. You need to be proud of the standards. You need to be proud of our dress code, our teachers, our beginnings, the level of our education that is taught 
and other students and, 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 and everybody that's there need to simply stand tall and say, that's my place. Lift up the standard of the Anchor Baptist Church. Let people know where you stand. You are identified by the standard that you stand under. Anchor Baptist School. Anchor Solid. Baptist, that's what we are. School. It's not for everybody. When I say that, you mean not everybody can come there? No, they can't. No, they can't. First of all, mom and dad, you have to be saved, have a good testimony, tie that goes soul winning here. You have to be a member of the Anchor Baptist School. And your children, here's the kicker, have got to want to be there. There's a lot of other things too. It's not a select group. It's open to anybody in the church. That follows what the banner stands for. Your appearance is a standard. Oh, I see. You probably go to Anchor Baptist Church, don't you? And you and, and you gulp and, and, and try to find a reason. What do I say now? Here's what I say. Yes, I do. That's what I say all the time. You're correct. How did you know? Well, you see, bathing suits is not our standard. Shorts on men or women is not our standard. Spiked hair. Women getting tattooed. That's a big deal right now. Every woman wants a real cool tattoo. Can I help you something? There is no such thing. There's no such thing as a cool tattoo for men or women. Baggy pants is not our standard. No tie to church is not our standard. Don't carry a Bible to church. The appearance that you are under is telling everybody what you believe and what you stand for. We don't go along with that. If you attend Anchor Baptist Church or go to Anchor Baptist School and are identified under our standard, yet you do not abide by that, my suggestion to you, go find that banner that you feel comfortable under, that you want to be identified under, and go to that church, go to that school. It's not a financial thing. Most of the time it is a standard thing. This is why America... My opinion, if you do not go along with the standard, that flag that flies, don't you dare burn it or stand on it in front of me. You don't like our Constitution. You do not like our flag. You do not like these things here in America, our Bible, our flag, our Constitution. I have a suggestion for you. Move. Go back to where you came from and just have a great time there. I don't understand. All you folks that came from other countries, that'd be like socks, you know, she come from four different countries. You come from somewhere, and then you come here and want to change this to make it like that. Why didn't you just stay there? I apologize. You left a dictator, and you come here and got another one. I don't know what to tell you. Go to church somewhere where the standard is not raised so high. You don't like this one? That's the only choice you got. Go find one that is not near as high. Just just lower that standard a little bit and let it kind of blend in with all the others and nobody can really identify you. Somewhere the standard has on purpose been lowered. Go there. It's on purpose that every Baptist church used to have these kinds of standards. Used to believe in that book right there. That Used to believe in the King James Bible. Believed in the type of singing and music we have here. Believed in wearing ties and not everybody growing fuzz all over their face. You said, beards aren't sinful. Why did you change is what I want to know. I know beards aren't sinful. Why did you change? Brother Usher came here. Now, I'll tell you, honest guys, that, that 
fellow right there. He came to me and he said, look, preacher, I know I can't sing, but you want me in the choir. I said, yeah, I do. He said, I got a problem. That's just the way he talks. I got a problem. I said, what's your problem? I got a mustache. Yeah, you do. He was real little back in those days. And I said, uh, what about it? He said, now let it be in the choir with a mustache. How long have you had the mustache? I think he said since he was like first grade or something. And I said, what? He said, yeah. I said, so it's not something you just recently did, something you added because that's what other people are doing. He goes, no, not at all. I said, then you can keep it. Just don't let it go into a Fu Manchu or, you know, whoever else. Okay, don't let it happen that way. So he did. That's called honesty. I just want to know why you want to change all of a sudden. Where's your standard at? You see something here. We have certain standards, and we're not going to ease up. Women in pants is not our standard here. Now, now, hold on, hold on. That may be some church's standard, but that's not ours. You say, well, I don't think you have to. That, that's not our standard. You want to feel comfortable and you don't like me hitting on that? Go someplace else. Don't put the pressure on me to change. Our standard was this way before you ever got here. Actually, from day one, this is just the way that we were. You see, any Bible is good. That may be good in some church, but that's not our standard. So you come here and you keep looking at it going like this. Why does it? I didn't make sense to me. It wouldn't make sense to me when it's not the word of God. Necklace and ear wearing males. That's not our standard. Now, some churches may not care. Maybe the guys go up to each other and go, love your earring. Maybe that's what they do. That's not what we do here. Short, whorish, worldly, fashion, skirts is not our standard here. The big thing now is for women to wear skirts clear up to their waist. No? Yes, it is. And you think it's very stylish. First of all, you're not built like those women on TV. I'll break the news to you. Do you have one of those things in your house? What do they call those? Um, mirrors? And you're not kidding me, none. Every time a woman gets dressed, one of the things she looks at. Don't shake your head at me. I know what happens. I had four sisters growing up. I had three, two daughters and a wife. I understand. How can you put that on and say, I'm under the banner of the Anchor Baptist Church and the Lord Jesus Christ? No, you're not. You're under a worldly banner. That may be some people saying, but that's not ours. Worldly talking, flirtish acting men is not our standard. Now, you listen to me well. You said, I don't see what's wrong with it. I didn't ask you what you saw wrong with it. That is our standard, and we're not doing that here. You understand that? I'll see you do it again. Okay, there we go. Now, listen. The Bible says men looketh on the outward appearance. Well, you don't know my heart. You got me there. I have no idea what's in your heart. I only know what I'm seeing. That man may see your good. I've said that men may see your good works and glorify your father. The whole world, Christian and unsaved, judges by the outward appearance. Why in the world? There's only two, several things I can think of, man, why you would wear something like that. You want people to look at you? Or you're so caught up in fashion, you honestly don't see anything wrong with it. So I have to tell you, it's not right. And this whole, I don't think it's called spandex, this whole running around with just a thin pair of 
again, you got a mirror? Do any of you women have a mirror? That's all I'm asking. How in the world? I'm telling you, I, I, I didn't mean to. I was watching a woman the other day. I'm telling you, it looked like two hogs wrestling in a sack. She thought she was something. Preacher, how can you say that? Okay, let me put it this way. If I see something that has a tail, floppy ears, and barks, maybe it's just me, I call that a dog. Am I going out on a limb here? You understand what I'm saying? So you identify with that too, right? Right? Okay, has a tail. That could be anything, but it barks. Mm, Floppy ears, right? You pet? That's a dog. Everybody knows by what it is, what it represents, that it's a dog. So... A cat, arrogant, proud, runs the house, sleeps when it wants, scratches you, and meows. It's a cat, right? That whole arrogance. As soon as I said that, you went, yeah, that's true, okay. A dog does not meow, am I right? Anybody know a cat that barks? No. Don't you dare. Well, you know, I heard this one. Don't do that to me. Birds do not swim. <clears throat> fish do not fly. Don't give me that. There's flying fish down here. I don't give me that kind of stuff. I'm simply trying to say, if you claim to be a child of God, why don't you start looking like one? Because you don't want to be that identified, do you? You don't want to be when you walk in on your job. That's why, Brother Gooding, I'm so proud of you. You do not have a baby face. You don't. You look like a very nice-looking young man to me. You do. How old are you? Yeah, you're a young man. And so I look at this. Before, I kept thinking, what's he trying to do? It's like all here. And I'm thinking, why would he do that? And he shaved, and I went, man, now I know why she married the guy. (laughs) And we always do this. Well, my wife likes it. Oh, you big sissy britches. Tell her, no, I don't want to grow a beard. Look, I hate shaving. I hate shaving with a patch. I'm not going to change just to let everybody else know you changed. I didn't. Same banner. Same banner all the time. Now, listen to me carefully here. You look like you belong, shouldn't you, to the Holy Father? And that's not the Pope. Shouldn't you look like you belong to the Holy Father? Holy Father. You're not holy. Shouldn't that be your banner? Shouldn't that be something that you're under? Act like you're representing him. Talk like you are an ambassador from another nation representing God. You know why I say that? Because you are. Looking at you, you are identifying. Where you go, you're identifying. How you dress, you're identifying. This is just the way that it is. Everybody does. Dress to where if he were here, people would recognize you and say, you've got to be a child of God. Put up your standard. Raise your banner high. Be proud that you're a Christian lady. By the way, because you're built like one, doesn't make you a lady. It makes you a woman, but it doesn't make you a lady. I've already run into all these arguments years ago. Or you can't tell that I'm a lady? I said, I can tell you're a female, but you're not a lady. I thought she, I thought she was going to hook me in the jaw, but, which would prove you're not a lady. Be proud that you're a man. A Christian man. 
a Christian man? Why, why do we, why, what has the world ever done for you that you keep wanting to stay close to them? You're being identified with their banner instead of the banner of the Lord. Every man under the banner of his family, don't bow your head. <clears throat> don't be embarrassed because you decide to not to identify with things in the world. Why are we so backward about that stuff? Again, I'm listening to C.J. Stroud. I mean, this kid, I don't know if you heard his testimony. He doesn't do this, and even the people on his team, as they're given witness, and they'll ask him, so what do you think about your new quarterback? One of the first things one of his linemen said, a defensive lineman, was, first of all, he's a man of God. The guy's 22 years old, facing all kinds of news media, and the first thing he said, what do you attribute your success to? First of all, I want to thank my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who has opened all these opportunities for me to live for him. I'm thinking, what did that kid just say? He didn't blink an eye. He didn't make a shit, and you could hear all the news media gulping for breath and can't wait to go to the next statement so they can get beyond this place. He won't let him. He won't let him. He's got a big cross on his on his arm thing here, and and all the people in the in where he where he's at right now, and even when he was with OSU, a lot of those guys were getting saved. A lot of those guys are having Bible study, and he's 22 years old. What in the world is wrong with you guys? In order for women to submit and follow, all they need is a good guy to live the way he's supposed to. Your standard. Don't bow your head and be embarrassed because you 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 decided to be identified under a godly banner. I thank God, Franker Baptist Church. I thank God, Franker Baptist School. I don't even have kids there. Don't allow other sinners or backslidden churchgoers to get you to lower your banner. Rouse then, soldier, rally around the banner. Ready, steady, pass the word along, is what the Bible says. Onward, forward, shout a glad hosanna. Christ is captain of the mighty throng. What are you ashamed of? He's your captain. You don't need to be ashamed of that. You're different than everybody. Jesus was too. He's just an ordinary guy who lived godly, and everybody, even though he was an ordinary guy, could blend in with any crowd. You're different. They knew that as soon as they heard him, as soon as they talked to him, as soon as they saw him. Don't lower your flag. Quit finding ways to scoot underneath another banner. I don't care if it's the church. I don't care if it's the school. Don't change your emblem. Do not change your identity. We're getting ready. up there. That's the sign. Hello. Getting ready. Pull it down. Okay, wake him up. Okay, got it? Okay, there we go. Wonderful. I thank God. And you ought to too for what you have and who you identify with. I would not go to a church I did not identify with. I would not put my kids in a school just for financial sake. I would do it for identity's sake and what they're trying to learn. You may wonder what this is about. I will tell you after it's over with. There was a story in the news back a few years ago. A book came out later on about this. Now, if you know what this is, don't lean over to the next friend. This is all about this, this, and it. Just watch it. Just listen to it. Boy, that thing is slow. Man, I thought my life was slow. This is slow, boy, I'm telling you. 
want you to remember everything I've just been saying. And then I want you to watch this. And then I will make comments after. With the lights, fellas. The Navy SEALs clenched their fists as they heard Jessica Buchanan desperately pleading for her life. The American teacher had participated in a demining project in Somalia before being kidnapped by several pirates. Now she lay sick and starving somewhere in the desert, defenseless against the whims of her heavily armed captors. The operators of the famous SEAL Team 6 would do everything to save her. But one bad piece of news followed the next. Gale force winds would force the sailors to jump out of the aircraft at more than twice the wind speeds of what would have normally canceled the jump. On top of that, they were in the middle of a solar storm, which could block radio communications to support units for hours. The SEALs would have to prove that they were among the best before they even touched the ground. Any other mission would have been delayed by at least a day. But the warriors knew Jessica didn't have those 24 hours. And so, they donned their parachutes, checked their oxygen tanks, and then jumped into the unknown darkness and one of the most daring hostage rescues ever. Jessica Buchanan was 32 years old and living with her husband in one of the safer areas of Somalia. Together with her Danish colleague, Paul Thisted, she worked for a large aid organization, educating children about the dangers of anti-personnel mines that were widespread throughout the country. On her next assignment, she had to travel dangerously close to the so-called Green Line, an invisible line behind which lay the areas controlled by Islamists. The security situation in the Horn of Africa was already tense as it was, with bomb attacks and small skirmishes between rival tribes occurring almost regularly. However, Jessica had not come to Africa to hide behind walls, so she decided to conduct the anti-mine training anyway. At first, everything seemed to go without incident. But on October 25th, 2011, the day of their return trip, everything was about to change for the two humanitarian workers. The first thing that struck Jessica as suspicious was her driver. Instead of their usual chauffeur, a completely unknown man was sitting in the Land Cruiser who was supposed to take them to the airport. Her Danish colleague, however, seemed to be in a hurry and climbed into the passenger seat unimpressed which is why Jessica stopped worrying. Then, after only 10 minutes of driving, it happened. A massive car forced the convoy to an abrupt halt. Nearly 30 men with AK-47 assault rifles jumped out of several vehicles, banging on the Land Cruiser's windows and yelling orders in a language Jessica didn't understand. Before she could even realize what was happening to her, one of the pirates pointed his gun to her head while her security advisor was violently dragged from the vehicle. A heavily armed man sat down in the vacant seat and gave orders to Jessica's driver, who willingly hit the gas and showed who he was really working for. It wasn't long before they stopped again and switched vehicles amid loud shouting from the pirates. The whole thing seemed very well planned, although the kidnappers had obviously consumed too much cot, a plant common in Africa which acts similar to amphetamines. After the pirates stopped in the middle of nowhere, Jessica and Paul had to prepare their own execution, only to be sent back to the car just before their tragic end. The pirates didn't care at all about the lives of the relief workers, but in order to collect the highest possible ransom, they needed their hostages unharmed. For them, it was fun to mock the powerlessness of the West on the other side of the world. 
Jessica and Paul, meanwhile, were living their nightmare. They could do nothing as they were at the mercy of the barbarians and didn't even know if anyone had noticed their disappearance. But Washington was not only aware of the abduction of the humanitarian workers, it had already initiated first countermeasures. Jessica's aid organization had notified the American embassy in Nairobi immediately after the assault, which in turn informed the FBI. From here, phone calls were made to family members to reassure them and dissuade them from acting rashly. Even before the end of the day, high-ranking officials briefed U.S. President Barack Obama, and while the pirates were preparing to contact authorities, Jessica Buchanan was already a top priority at the White House. Paul Fisted later recounted that the best thing that could have happened to him was to be kidnapped with an American. Both hostages and pirates were soon to find out what that meant. Almost three months later, Jessica was still in captivity. Good news was that she was still alive. Bad news was that despite slow negotiations, no agreement could be made for a ransom, as the pirates had even refused $1.5 million, enough money that each of them would be set up for at least 30 years. Every day, Jessica fought hunger, heat, and the constant fear that the kidnappers would harm her. As if all of that wasn't bad enough, a urinary tract infection had spread through her body, and in the worst-case scenario, it could be fatal. In a final video message to Western authorities, she joined Paul in begging for their lives and a quick payment of the ransom. Otherwise, she would either die from her infection or fall victim to the whims of pirates drugged with cot. That night, Jessica gazed up at the brightly lit starry sky and prayed. Unbeknownst to her, her prayers were answered when 10,000 miles away, 24 cell phones suddenly rang. The men picking up the phones had long beards and were covered with tattoos. Some of them had the stature of a bear, while others looked like hardened marathon runners. But they all had one thing in common, their aura of absolute calm, self-confidence, and professionalism. They were all part of the famous SEAL Team 6, who had just been alerted for a hostage rescue. Over the next few weeks, SEAL Team 6's Blue Squadron trained day and night to rescue Jessica, her pleading voice from the video message always in the back of their minds. The warriors had hunted gruesome men all over the world, but when it came to the lives of women and children, they were especially motivated. On January 25, 2012, the time had finally come. President Obama himself had given the green light for the hostage rescue. 24 of the best warriors the U.S. had to offer would risk their lives to try to free both hostages unharmed. Their plan was to parachute over Somalia and then approach the pirate camp on foot so as not to alert the enemy with loud noises. At the U.S. operations base in Djibouti, around 500 miles from Jessica's location, everything military-related which was useful in some way was gathered. At this point, the total operation cost was already well over $100 million. That was how much America was willing to spend to save just one citizen. With final preparations completed, the SEALs boarded their C-130 transport aircraft and took off for Mogadishu. Remarkably, the pilots themselves had only just arrived and had been on a nine-hour flight right before, but performed their job just like business as usual. All eyes, including those of the president, who was monitoring the operation via live feed, were now on the hostage rescue. 
As it turned out later, the kidnappers wanted to change their position on exactly this night, but had eaten spoiled meat and therefore ended up staying put. On the other side, however, a violent solar storm erupted, which hit the Earth's magnetic field so hard that radio waves, and thus radio communications with other support units, were disrupted. Meaning, in a worst-case scenario, no quick reaction force, no situation reports, and no close air support. On top of that, wind speeds were more than double what would have canceled a regular mission. But the rescue of Jessica Buchanan was not a regular mission, and every one of the 24 men on board was willing to take that extra risk. After about three hours in the air, the C-130 had reached their drop point. The SEALs rose from their seats, hooked up their oxygen tanks, and then dropped for more than 20,000 feet into the 40-knot wind. After only a few seconds of freefall, the operators had already reached 120 miles per hour, a speed which is normally achieved by competitive athletes in optimal conditions. Despite the absurd wind situation, the SEALs managed to land semi-cohesively, with a few runaways who were dragged across the savanna for hundreds of yards before separating from the parachute. Holding security for each other, the sailors put on their combat gear and wrapped up their chutes. From now on, they had to walk several miles through the more than 100-degree hot Somali night. After nearly an hour of silent marching, the sailors reached their last cover before irreversibly committing to the assault. They were now only 500 meters from the pirate camp. Along the way, they had changed direction several times to always have the wind in their faces, eliminating any possibility of being spotted early. Every little detail counted when it came to sneaking as close as possible to the enemy. A hostage rescue differs from normal combat mission in that the hostage's life is even more important than fighting the enemy. The SEALs would literally run through machine gun fire if it meant they could save Jessica. Their goal was to remain undetected for as long as possible, then speed was of the essence. As the 24 warriors began to move again, the longest hour of their lives was about to begin. They had long been within earshot of the pirates, and only night's darkness kept them from the attention of enemy guards. As if in slow motion, one foot was silently placed forward, the weight shifted, and only then followed the next foot. An experienced SEAL named Justin Sheffield led the group. At his hand signal, the operators spread out far to the left and right to bring as many rifles forward as possible without walking into others' field of fire. Snipers positioned themselves on the outer flanks and monitored their comrades' actions. As the sailors moved forward in perfect unison, they could watch through their thermal scopes as the enemy sentries slowly became anxious and woke the other pirates. The SEALs quickened their pace, still perfectly steady. Sheffield aimed his laser at one of the Somali guards, and without having to say anything, his comrades did the same. The infrared beam was completely invisible to the pirates without night vision, but they sensed something moving in the darkness. With a loud clack, they racked their heavy PKM machine guns and got into position. The pirates pointed their weapons roughly in the direction from which they heard the sounds. The SEALs increased their pace once again, now less concerned with noise discipline than with closing the distance to the hostages before all hell broke loose. 
With a deafening noise, the pirate's machine gun kicked off and fired deadly 7.62mm rounds at the operators, followed by several AK-47 assault rifles. The snipers had been waiting for just this moment and almost immediately silenced the enemy machine guns before seeking new targets. With surgical precision, the Navy SEALs returned fire while simultaneously fighting their way forward to find Jessica. In a similar hostage rescue, French Special Forces failed to overwhelm the hostiles quickly enough, resulting in the execution of the hostage. Each of the SEALs was prepared to do anything to avoid just that. The hundreds of hours on the shooting range under simulated stress conditions paid off when they spotted two pirates with AKs standing right over Jessica, who was crouched on the ground. Sheffield and another SEAL broke away from the formation and both made sure these pirates never kidnapped anyone again with accurate shots. When Sheffield saw the American's bright face, he dove on top of her in the ongoing firefight, shielding her from the enemy crossfire with his own body. More SEALs joined in and within seconds the teacher was protected by multiple layers of the world's best warriors. Although the operators themselves all had wives and children, they put the hostage's life above their own. Meanwhile, another comrade had taken care of Paul Thisted, protecting him from enemy fire as well. After all nine pirates were neutralized and the gunfire stopped, Sheffield put Jessica on his shoulders and sprinted out of the pirate camp as far away from any danger as possible. The other SEALs formed a human shield around the two, ready to resume the fight at any moment. After running as far as his feet would carry him after this energy-sapping battle, Sheffield dropped Jessica off. Pararescue Jumpers, the U.S. Air Force's specialized rescue force, tended to the American woman, who still couldn't believe she had just been rescued by her countrymen. As she anxiously asked, What if more come? More could come? Sheffield coldly replied, We are SEAL Team 6. We will kill anyone who tries to harm you now. She was visibly reassured by that convincing answer of the bearded warrior who had just rescued her from the worst situation of her life. After the SEALs blew up the pirates' arms depot, they still had to march to the landing zone of the exfiltration helicopter. Whenever a suspicious noise was heard somewhere, or reports of enemies came in over the radio, it took only a few seconds for Jessica to find herself under a layer of Navy SEALs trying to protect her with their own bodies. Fortunately, however, there was no more fighting, and the American, accompanied by the SEALs, ran independently to the Black Hawk that would fly her to freedom. Behind her lay three months of captivity among heavily armed pirates, during which she could never be sure that she would live to see the next day. The selfless efforts of the men of SEAL Team 6 had finally saved her. As she reflected on the last few months, one of the soldiers on board knelt beside Jessica, looked her in the eye, handed her a beautifully folded American flag, and said, Welcome home, Jessica. Of our country. She could not believe 
the Americans are here. They come to get me. And you have to admit, you were taken when they said things like they had their own families, but that's not what concerned them. You're not going to hurt women and children as long as we're around. That's a symbol. You see, symbols are very, very important. And when you hear about SEAL Team 6, something inside of you just wants to stand up a little straighter and just look at the world and say, you better behave yourself. That's because of what they are and who they are. You have to understand these things. Listen to me very carefully as I close. The Army has lowered its high standard. The Army is not what it used to be, not even close. The Navy has lowered its standard does not have the high convictions, the high standards, even though it may say it still has the same banner, they've changed. The Air Force has lowered its high standard. Enlistment is dropping off in all of these. Courage is dropping off in all of these. Strength is dropping off, and it's an embarrassment to what our Navy, Air Force, and Army has become and is becoming. However, there's a bright spot in all this. The Marines have not. I don't know how they're getting by with it. But they have not changed like the others have. And by the way, enlistment is up in the Marines. However, you've got SEAL Team 6 and people like this. They're not joining anymore. They're trying to change everything. Delta Force, Special Forces, Rangers, they're changing all of them. Listen to me, there is a symbol and they're changing the symbol. They're changing the symbol. You can still call yourself a Baptist, but if you're not acting like a Baptist and you're not behaving that way, I don't care what symbol you have, you're not a Baptist anymore, and that should never happen. We must keep the standard flying high for three reasons. Number one, so our children can always see the way clearly that their fathers and their grandfathers stood. They have to be able to see that and identify that. Number two, so those who have become confused and, and, and deceived can see how far they have lowered their standard and find their way back where they need to be. A lot of people mess up. They get out there. Now what do I do? Come back. Come back to where you're supposed to be. And number three, so the lost can see the obvious difference between churchgoers and biblically separated, born-again Christians who love the Lord. It's symbols. I feel sometimes that our people, not all, actually not most of them, but some of them, you're almost embarrassed over your school or your church or your dress standard or what we stand for or a preacher that yells and screams about stuff because their preacher doesn't. I would say to you again, raise the standard. What standard do you want to be remembered as belonging to? When it's all said and done and your kids look at you and go, my dad, my grandma, my parents, what? Went to the open door, Baskin Robbins 31 Flavor Church? Or, my dad wasn't liked very much, but I'll tell you one thing, that guy never changed. See, you hear about these guys here. I do. I can imagine the whole time I'm saying that, I'm thinking of Brother Usher. I'm thinking about some of you guys that were in the military, and it hurts you in your heart to know that our military is changing and becoming weaker in the eyes of the rest of the world. And when you hear about something like that, you just want to stand up straight, stick your chest out, and salute. Man, those are men. It's just a symbol. Just a banner. 
just something you stand under. You know, like in your army and you look down there and go, we're getting ready to turn. Is that all that it is? No, it identifies. It shows you what you believe, where you stand, and it identifies you. Ladies and gentlemen, do not be embarrassed, ashamed, bow your head, or give excuse for what God has given us here at the Anchor Baptist Church and the Anchor Baptist School. We have great teachers, we have great staff, we have great people, and things are beginning to grow again, if only the money would. And uh, listen to me, I'm not ashamed. For almost 35 years, God has allowed us to overfill the Ohio Stadium with souls. I don't understand it, but it's 41 or 47,000 plus people last year listened to our church services. I don't understand that. Wonder what they're looking for. I don't know. Have no idea. But I know this. If we change at all, trust me, everybody will hear. And by the way, they hear about you too. Well, he's always been that way. That guy's never going to change. Like that's a bad thing. Now, if it's sinful, you need to change. You stand on the kick. You know, nobody does that anymore. I do. That's like your kids go, Dad, nobody does that anymore. Yes, they do. You're going to. Well, it's almost like we're afraid to say stuff like that. I love this place. I love what we stand for. I love our school. I love our folks. And if you attract what you are, this is the craziest church but it's worth standing up straight and saying, that's my place. God gave me that place. Those are my people. This is where I worship the Lord. This is where I work for God. This is what I want to defend. If I could have been a seal, I wanted to be a ranger. Here I was, a 17-year-old kid. Why did I want to be a ranger? Because I saw one. And they walked different, and they talked different. They looked different. They were built different. There was something about them that was inviting to a real man be something that's inviting to Christians that say, there's a right way to live. There's a right way to represent what we have. I'm not, when I use the word pride, I don't mean that in a sinful way. I mean just about, man, I love that place. I would rather die than go someplace. I know people have taken offense to it, and it's been on the internet and everything else when I make statements like, this is the best church around. Well, what does he mean by that? Does he mean our church isn't any good? I'm going to play football, and I'm allowed to be on the best team. I'm getting on the best team. I'm going to get on the best team. Why in the world will go, well, we're all about the same. We're not all about the same. Well, I think there's a little bit of God in every church. No, there's not. Where do we come up with this stuff? There is a banner. Every family had their banner, had their standard, and you were supposed to assemble under that. Millions of people had to know where are we supposed to go? Who are we following? What do we stand for? Look at your father's standard. It didn't say look at the next generation standard. Look at your father's standard and stand there. All of you young adults in here with all your young family, decide where you're going to stand. Don't you ever change again. 